This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right to the at right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley Goodrow after it, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow. All I can say is, wow, what a job by these guys. You know, the beauty of sports is that when your team wins, it's a nice distraction from the rest of the world, particularly one when there is a pandemic. It's been a weird 12 months for everyone, and the sports world is no exception. But at least here in Tampa Bay, the sports teams are doing their best to make the city of Tampa proud. Congrats to the Bucks yesterday. They downed the Saints. And no, we won't be dedicating this hour to Bucks talk. That's for another station. But sports reminds us why it's important. It unifies us and it has us all on the same team, even if it's just for a couple of hours. So when someone says, why is sports important? You tell them because the world just becomes a bit better for all of us living in it. I am Greg Lanelli, along with my partner, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is producing. Brian Burns coming up in just a bit. The Lightning is 2-0 to start the season. Dave, you heard me say Twitter is a pretty wretched place for the most part. There's a lot of <laughs> nasty on it, especially if you're a sports team who doesn't play well. But You put you... on your special body armor when you... <laughs> I do dive into the Twitter pool, don't you? I shouldn't call it a pool. I do. It is. I don't know. I shouldn't use the word swamp. You can use it. You can. You can use. I'm not going to censor you on that. You can use it whatever you want. But if you happen to browse it yesterday, depending on your following, everybody was excited, and it was just nice to see and a bit refreshing for a change. And I think again, when people say sports isn't that important, yeah, look, big picture, maybe it's not, but. I don't think you should discount, you know, what winning in a city when it comes to your team can do for people on any given day. And what a great sports year it has been. As tough as this year has been outside of the world of sports, at least in the Tampa Bay area, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. The Rays have a magical run to the World Series with some great moments on that ride. And now the Bucs have reached the NFC Championship game and already have two playoff wins under their belt, which is two more than they've had in how many years? <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time since this area has had a chance to celebrate a football playoff win, and now this Bucks team has given us two in as many weeks. So no matter how this ends for the Bucs, and we hope that they are going to end up playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl, which I think that would be the first time that's ever happened, right? I remember there was a year that the 49ers got in and the the Super Bowl was played at Stanford. I'm probably dating myself here. That was in the 80s. But I don't know that a a team has actually ever played in its home stadium in a Super Bowl. They have not. They have not. This this would be the first time. Yep. Yeah. That would be great. So, look, I, I think you're right. <laughs> I, I think you're right that it can it can unify a community. Yeah. It, it can make people feel good or at least bring out the emotion because sometimes it doesn't make you feel good, right? Like the fans in New Orleans are not feeling too good 
today. And the unpredictability of it, I think, adds to the emotion and the drama. Yeah. But I would I would I would put it in the same category as, you know, seeing a great movie or you know, watching an incredible TV show or if you like going to the theater or reading a book. I mean, like how important are these things? Well, you know, if in a way it's art, right? And it's entertainment. Sure. It's 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 appreciating what somebody else is doing in a in a performance, whether that performance is on a field, on a sheet of ice, or on a stage, or on the big screen. I agree, and it's as long as it's part of our our culture, our world. You want things to uh, work out well. And uh, yesterday, kudos to the Bucks for getting it done. And you know, one other comparison I'll make to the Bucks yesterday, Dave, and to this Lightning team: Tom Brady, no doubt, obviously a huge upgrade at quarterback, but their defense was really good, and it hammers home the point that defenses do still win championships. And surely you'd like to have somebody throw for 350 yards or put up five goals a game, but history has shown us, Dave, in any sport, offense wins games while defense wins championships. And the Lightning over the last year, I think they've learned that. And that's really what stood out to me after a couple of games here against Chicago and even post-pandemic last year. This team defends... And because of that, they always have a legitimate chance to win a cup. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this, Greg, on our program. You know, what does it mean to defend well? Well, part of it is what you do without the puck, and you want to limit dangerous scoring chances, and you want to have the puck more than you not have the puck than the not having the puck. So when you don't have the puck, you want to defend well so you can get it back. But it's also puck management. It's what you're doing with the puck. And this is a, a good connection to what you were talking about with the Buck Saints game yesterday, which is the Saints did not handle the ball well. So they threw interceptions. They had a big fumble. I mean, it's what you do with the puck sometimes that can lay the groundwork for how well you defend. And bad turnovers at, at key points in critical locations on the ice can fuel the other team's attack. And I think the Lightning, certainly last year in the playoffs and, and even in these first two games this year, even though you know we're back into a regular season, they've continued to do that. It's hard to play a perfect game, and they've given up a few chances. Vasilevsky, as he usually does, has bailed them out when they've they've had a breakdown or two. But those breakdowns have not been overly frequent. And I think the Lightning's puck management has been very good to, to start this year. So they have been able to win the possession battle, possession battle, excuse me, more than Chicago. Uh, and even in the second game where Chicago had a much more spirited effort, the, the Lightning were able to dictate play for long stretches, particularly in that second period when they built their lead. And I think that's that's part of their bread and butter. They want the puck, yeah. and they want to be able to, to, to force the other team to defend without the puck. And when the Lightning don't have the puck, they want to get it back, but if they can't get it back, make sure you're not giving up scoring chances. And, and that was really their formula last year through the playoffs, and they want to carry that over into this year too. 
And, and what more can you say, Dave, about Vasilevsky? I know it's a broken record, but boy, it's noticeable when a team doesn't have a goaltender that makes key saves at the right times consistently. He does. And he's a big reason why defensively they've been a lot better over the last year, too. You're right. And, uh, you know, there there haven't been a ton of tough saves that he's had to make in these first two games, but there have been timely ones. He made a key save at the end of the second period in both games. Yes. Yes. The one on Shaw in the first game. Now, at that point, the game was, what, 4 nothing. So it's not like it, it, it would have put them behind, let's say, going into the third. But it was still an amazing save. And then the one that helped the Lightning take a lead into the locker room on Friday, that one on Debrinket at the end of the second period, kept the Lightning lead at 3-2 to two after the Hawks had scored two in a row late in the second. Very, very big save. In addition to some other key stops that that he made throughout the first two games. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Seventh time in franchise history. The Lightning start 2-0 to start the season. You heard Dave say they beat the Blackhawks 5-2 Friday night. Not going to play until Thursday against Columbus because of Dallas and their COVID outbreaks supposed to play Sunday and Tuesday. That's not going to happen. And speaking of COVID, Curtis McElhinney became the first Lightning player to land on the NHL's COVID-19 protocol list on Saturday. Now, players, Dave, are getting tested every day for the first four weeks of the season. And we don't know, you know, even if if McElhinney has COVID. But, you know, we talk about the efforts the league and, and teams are doing to put these protocols in place to prevent, you know, outbreaks and, um, you know, we'll, we'll find out, I'm sure as the week progresses exactly what McElhaney's status will be. Yes. So last year in the bubble, there was no distinction between a player who might have had exposure tested positive and a player who was injured. It was simply unfit to play this year. There is more of a distinction in that you can call an injury an injury and you can separate that from what they're calling the COVID protocol list. What we do not know is specifically what has happened to a player on the protocol list because it could mean that the player has tested positive. It could mean that the player had exposure to, to somebody who may or may not be testing positive, like there's an abundance of caution. There may be an initial test and usually if the initial test is positive, then they do another one the next day, if, if I understand it correctly. So you need a second positive test to, to confirm. So you could fall into a number of categories, and we just don't know. And so we're going to have to see how it plays out, how quickly McElhinney is able to come off the protocol list, hopefully soon, and see if other players end up falling on that list too, which to this point they have not. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Brian Burns, the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He'll be joining us coming up in the next segment. We'll talk to him about the Lightning start to the season and anything else really that has stood out for him. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, at Greg Lanelli. And we will make sure we get you going with some pretty good hockey talk. You know, it's interesting too, Dave, when we talk about... Uh, the Lightning and the start to the season and what they've been able to accomplish. It, it it has at least stood out for me 
how good Steven Stamkos has been. And as Brian Engblom said on one of the postgame shows, maybe how healthy he looks. And he said, you know, don't discredit what he's been through the last couple of years. And that if he really is healthy and, you know, with players sometimes, Dave, when you get an injury to your leg or your knee, you know, he's sometimes it, it can take 12 to 18 months for you to feel completely better. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that I'm not sure many people were factoring in when you talked about Stamkos' play is that at his age and the wear and tear, maybe he's lost a step. But maybe the flip side is maybe he finally is healthy. And if he finally is healthy, it appears that his level of play is somewhere where we haven't seen maybe in a couple couple seasons. He looks really good out there. There's no question. And one thing that he has never lost through any of these injuries is his ability to shoot the puck. Yeah. So remember his iconic goal in the final last year. He puts that puck into the upper corner moments after he sustained the re-injury, right, or the injury, I guess, the compensation injury. He knew something was wrong when he made the move in the offensive zone to get loose. And maybe adrenaline's taking over at that point. But my point is that he still finished the shot. And you look at the goals that he scored this year. One is his one-timer on the power play right in his wheelhouse, drilled it in. And the other goal was off the rush at the end of the game on Friday, a perfect shot into the top of the net. So if he's able to move and skate, the way he has been, there's no reason to believe that he won't have a productive year based on the fact that he's still one of the top goal scorers in his generation and has one of the best shots in the league. You know, you could probably count on one hand the guys in the league who can shoot the puck as well as Stamkos still in the NHL. And with that in his toolbox, if he can – skate the way that he's skating and get himself in a position to shoot he is certainly you know going to be a headache for opposing goaltenders but also setting himself up to have a very very productive year which is important as we've talked about because there's no Nikita Kucherov during the regular season for the Lightning there is not if you want to react to what Dave had to say hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio Brian Burns he's the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning he's up next we'll ask him about Stammer's play as well. Hope you're having a great Monday. Go Bucks. Go Lightning. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch. It is Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linnelli along with my partner, the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Mishkin. It was a Really solid first two games to start the year for the Lightning, and we're going to talk about their start and so much more with our good friend. He's the beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, also joins me throughout the radio network broadcast during the pregame, and he does a show on game days with Kaylee Chelios for a half hour leading into the network. He's a busy man. Brian Burns joins us here on Lightning Power Play. Boy, Burns, your duties just continue to expand here. I have to like write everything down in terms of what you do. The duties expand, but the pay doesn't seem to follow along. So uh, maybe I need to go have a talk with somebody about that. Because, yeah, you're right. More and more just keeps getting added to the plate with anything being taken away. 
I'm going to speak to your agent. We'll try and figure that out. But uh, we maybe I need a new agent. Maybe that's my problem. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> well, look, two and zero, and granted, it was against the Chicago Blackhawks, but it's still an NHL team. More importantly, Burnsy, they're in your division. Take advantage of these as much as possible because we have no idea what this rest of the schedule is going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as far as starts go, that's about as as good as you could have hoped for. If you're a, a Lightning fan, you get uh, your superstars are, are being your superstars so far early on in the season. You, you don't really seem to be missing Nikita Kucherov all that much, at least the, the team that we saw in the postseason. You've added Steven Stamkos into his spot and, and things are humming right along. Uh, there's really no drop off there. The power play has looked good at moments. The penalty kill has looked really good when it's counted. Andre Vasilevsky has looked outstanding again and was really close to getting a shutout in that season opener. So I think all things considered, uh, yeah, I know a lot of people are, are down on the Blackhawks right now and, you know, kind of the injuries and things that they're dealing with going into this season. But uh, if you can beat a team 10 to three over two games, I think that's a pretty, pretty good start. No doubt, Brian, and everybody who spoke after both games, players and John Cooper, acknowledged that it was important to get the points. But you hear them talk, and they feel that this is still the opening week of the season in terms of where their game is at. And they feel that they have more to give and and room to grow. In what areas do you think they were referencing when they talk about where their game can still get to. You know, I think there's moments where maybe they get comfortable. Maybe they feel good about their position in the game. uh, And and maybe they let up a little bit. You've kind of seen it uh, late in the second period and both games. And even going back to the playoffs, that was kind of an issue early on in the postseason, especially in those round robin games where uh, they started off strong and, uh, you know, had control of the game and then maybe just let up a little bit or maybe felt a little too comfortable and uh, allowed their opponent to, to get some pretty good scoring chances. Uh, kind of hurt them in those round-robin games. Uh, didn't really hurt them as much against Chicago, but still some areas where Vasilevsky was under fire where maybe he doesn't need to be some some coverage issues in the zone in those moments where they have those those momentary lapses. Uh, I mean, if you're nitpicking, you could look at the the starts of both games that maybe it took them a little while to get into it. But I think a lot of that is just kind of feeling out their opponent um, and then needing maybe you know, 10 minutes before they really start to assert their dominance. Uh, I, I think those are areas, maybe just that little momentary bit where they, they shut off for a little bit or, or get comfortable. Uh but really, you know, they could get a little bit more out of their fourth line offensively, but uh, you can't really complain about, you know, where the scoring's coming from. They've had five different goal scorers in each of the first two games, and all of the, the top three lines have, have all produced offensively. So you're really just kind of splitting hairs if you're, you know, complaining about the fourth line not giving you too much offensively. So. Uh, I think it's just more of a, you know, they were playing a certain way in the playoffs and they've started out this season kind of in that same mode. It doesn't really look like, uh, you know, it looks like they've just continued what they're doing in the playoffs, but maybe just some areas and some details in the game that they need to clean up a little bit to get back to that level they were, you know, in the uh, towards the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs. 
Beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning, Brian Burns, joins us here on Power Lunch. And if you're an agent listening and you're in the market, Burns, he may <laughs> want to uh, reach out to you. So make sure you hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio there. Burns, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things I, I think in any sport, I like to use the eye test more than the analytics. And I know analytics have really started to make a serious dent into sports over the last five, ten years. And that's fine. I think the more information at times can be better, although I think sometimes when you have too much information, it's I think you have to take a step back and and trust your eyes. And at least for me, when I'm watching this Lightning team, they're defending well. I know there are some breakdowns, but Dave and I have talked about this uh, throughout uh, the last couple of years. I don't think you can play a perfect 60-minute game. You're going to have some breakdowns. I think it's how how you come out of those breakdowns oftentimes that allows you to win games. But the eye test is telling me that at least against Chicago, and I understand Chicago's not very good at least to start the season, that Steven Stamkos appears to be as healthy as we have seen. We're seeing an explosiveness the shot is there, and that's scary for the rest of the league because assuming Kucherov comes back and is healthy and ready to go, if Stamkos can maintain this level of play, and that's maybe a little bit of a question mark, um, Kucherov's loss isn't as great if Stamkos is going to play this way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean... You look at how this team played during the playoffs when Kucherov was in there and was, you know, a scoring machine and setting records for for playoff scoring and lightning franchise history and one of the top offensive outputs for a for a winger ever in a in a playoff series. Uh, you think you lose him and there's going to be a little bit of drop off, you know, in this regular season, but there really hasn't been. I mean, that line with Palat and Point and Stamkos uh, has shown instant chemistry and and really. Uh, you don't even notice that Kucherov's not in there that much. Maybe a little bit on the power play because you are so used to to that unit running through him and him uh, just being the distributor and making that thing run. I thought I think Braden Point's done a really good job of taking over that role and being that uh, distributor on the power play and having it run through him. And we've seen it be successful, uh, at least in game one versus Chicago, uh, scoring some big goals. So. I don't. It hasn't been noticeable yet. You wonder as this thing goes along, will it? You know, will, will that first line's play start to tail off a little bit, or maybe you notice Kucherov now out there a little bit more. Uh, but right now, it really looks like Stamkos is back to to 100% strength. Like you said, the shots there, the speed is there, uh, the agility. He talked about it after uh, the first game against Chicago that um, he's feeling as 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 good. Uh, as well physically as he's felt in a really, really long time. So right now, hey, who it's let, really who good let the dogs out? Hey, who let the dogs uh, out? My wife let the dogs out <laughs> and apparently hasn't brought them back in. There must be something going I on love outside. It. I love it. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, it, it just really looks good from, from Stamkos's perspective right now of how he's playing. He feels comfortable. He's, he's feeling like he's as healthy as he's ever been. Uh, or at least as he's been in a long time in his career. And, and I think that's a really good sign for this team going forward. Bernsey, these two game sets that most teams are going to be engaged in throughout the season, same opponent, same city for, for usually a set of two games, certainly unique. We've never really seen anything like this in an NHL regular season before. 
And I wonder how much pushback the winning team sees in the second game as the season progresses. We definitely saw it with the Lightning and Hawks. Even though the Lightning won the second game, the Hawks did push back after losing the first game. We've seen a lot of splits early in the year. I know Rangers-Islanders split. Carolina-Detroit split. Detroit came back and won the second game. And I think... I was looking at Nashville-Columbus. Nashville won the second game after winning the first game, but Columbus had like 44, 45 shots, so they had pushback. And I'm wondering what you think about this dynamic. Uh, You know, John Cooper said it's less work for the coaches (laughs) because they don't have to prepare for as many different teams. I think Tyler Johnson had a comment where he said it's a little bit more like a chess match because you're seeing the same team twice in a row. Uh, I think one of the other players might have been Coleman who said, you know, you may get a little bit more emotion in that second game, similar to what you might see in a playoff series. What's your take on on how all of this might unfold? Yeah, I kind of agree with Coleman there. I think you're going to see more uh, whatever kind of antics ramp up in the first game. I think you're going to see some carryover into that second game, and you wonder if those second games are going to be a bit more – you know, hotly contested or if the temperature in those games is going to rise up because of something that's happened in game one. Like if you look at seasons past, you would play Chicago and, you know, October or November, and then you wouldn't see them again until, you know, late February or March. So something that happened way back in November, you're not really going to remember that unless it was, you know, particularly egregious, uh, you know, three, four months later. And now, uh, you're playing two nights later. So certainly some of the, that is going to carry over into these second games. And I thought you saw a little bit of that uh, in this first series with Chicago as far as, um, you know, the Blackhawks really once they got down in that first game, it seemed like their confidence waned a little bit and the Lightning were able to take complete control. And I think in game two, they were able uh, to, to maybe assert themselves a little bit more. They played a really good first period and were able to hang with the Lightning uh, throughout that first period and maybe even got the better of the lightning uh, in the first 20 minutes. And then again, it was a case where the lightning just scored and scored and waved. And it's like they get that first goal and then they come in bunches. It's, it's the second goal. It's the third goal. It's back to back to back. And uh, They just really kind of sense blood in the water, like sharks circling uh, once they get that first goal. But uh, you wonder like, it just seems like Chicago was a little bit more aware of what the Lightning were going to do in that second game and had a little bit of a get, uh, a better game plan for how they could prepare and how they could go up against the Lightning in that second game. So I think when we talked about you know how important it is to get the two wins early on, how important it is to get off to a good start and get those four points, I think even more so, you know, when these when you're playing these teams back to back, you're going to see a lot of splits. So if you can get a sweep a two-game sweep or even a three-game sweep, I think it's just going to make it uh, that much more valuable this season. Brian Burns joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. You mentioned the fourth line, and if you do want to nitpick a tad, it hasn't been great, although I will say this. People won't start talking about the fourth line unless they have to for a good reason. Right now, the the first three lines are, are doing pretty well, so you don't necessarily look at the fourth line too much for production. But I am curious, do you feel like, Bernsey, in terms of personnel, that's going to be the one line where you may see some guys in and out of the lineup, whether it's Joseph, Volkov, Stevens, and I'll throw another name in here, and I'm wondering if you think we'll have a chance to see him sooner rather than later, Jamel Smith. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's a good thought. I think Jamel Smith is a, a good veteran player for this team and a little bit like Jan Ruda in the sense that maybe he's not a flashy guy or a guy that's going to stand out to you every night out on the ice, but just one that knows the system well and knows what the coaches want and expect out of him and is able to go out and produce. Uh, I, I think that's a good thought that you might start to see Jamel Smith maybe a little bit more uh if they want to mix things up on the fourth line, I, I'm wondering if maybe Matthew Joseph becomes a player that, that, that moves up to that second line. Although Tyler Johnson had a good game uh, in his season debut on Friday night and that line just continued to roll. Uh, but I really thought Joseph looked dynamic on that second line in the season opener. So maybe there's a, a chance there for him to get up uh, on that line. Maybe you move Tyler Johnson down. He could possibly center that fourth line. Uh, and then maybe you move Stevens over to the wing or you put Volkov there. Uh, they certainly have options, but, you know, I, I think right now the first line is set. The third line is set. Uh, the duo between Kalorn and Sorelli is set and who the, the right winger is, is maybe a little bit up in the air. But the, the fourth line, you kind of have um, some maneuverability there that you don't have on the other three lines. I've heard this comment from from a few people who cover the Lightning. I think Brian Engblom mentioned it. Chief guys who have won Stanley Cups, and what they're saying is that when you win a Stanley Cup, you carry yourself with a different sort of confidence on the ice, swagger maybe that even if you had swagger before, you have added swagger. And they've used that when talking about Hedman's play this year, Stamkos's play this year and some other players as well. Have you noticed that, that that the Lightning, particularly their top guys, are carrying themselves like champions in a way? Yeah, I, I really felt you could see it in training camp, even from the very start of training camp. There just seemed to be this presence about the team. Uh, there are a lot of smiles on the faces, and of course a lot of that obviously is these guys seeing each other again for the first time in, in a couple of months. And I'm sure reliving some of the memories of, of winning the Stanley cup and, and the, the celebration that happened after, but you just, you looked around and you saw guys that were happy to be there. They were happy to be playing with one another. And you did, you saw that a uh, little bit of that swagger. I think this team has always had a bit of a swagger because they are a good team and they're expected to be, you know, a Stanley cup contender each year. And they have a, a lot of really good players who've, uh, put up fantastic numbers in this league. But then once you win it and you see that the, the process that you've been working on has worked and, and you're able to fulfill your, your final goal, uh, I think there's this sense among them that if they can continue to, to trust that process, that was a, a thing we heard throughout the, the Stanley Cup playoffs, just trust the process, believe in the process. Uh, I feel like they can – they have that to draw on now. They know that that can get them over the hump. They know that that can lead to a, a Stanley Cup championship. So in addition to the swagger that they already had from being a really good team, now they have that championship swagger now. And they all we've heard this many times, just how much they enjoy playing with one another, how much they like being around the group, how I, I think that was a big reason why they were able to win last year. When you throw these guys into a bubble for 65 days, you're going to have to like the people that you're around for over two months uh, and I think this group genuinely does. And uh, they get a, a feeling, you get the feeling that if they had to go into a bubble again and they had to, to isolate themselves for another two months, that this group would be absolutely fine with that because they enjoy playing with one another. They enjoy being around one another. Uh, and they know that they can get it done if that's the case. 
I just have a couple more questions. That third line, again, it's only two games, but we saw this last year, really is going to be a weapon for this team, Burns. A lot of teams have, you know, six really good forwards or two solid lines. The depth, I think, is what separates the great teams from the, the okay teams. But that third line for the Lightning, the one thing is constant is their speed and tenacity. That's not going to go away. You factor in you have a couple of guys there who have hit 20 goals, that is such a huge weapon for John Cooper, and it, it speaks to how good I think Coleman is, Gord is, but also to, I think, Goodrow, how much better he is than many people anticipated. Yeah, you just get the sense, uh, at least over those first two games, that the Lightning just kind of wear you down uh, as the game goes along. Yeah, they have this quick strike ability, but then when it gets down uh, into the third period, the, just the wave after wave of these lines that they can send over the boards and throw at teams that it just starts to wear the opponent down to a point where it, it leads to the Lightning scoring a couple goals towards the end of the game in the third period to really uh, to put the game away. And that third that third line is a big part of that. And I really expect, you know, Blake Coleman, he struggled when he first came over here to Tampa Bay to really uh, get on the scoreboard. Couldn't uh, didn't have a goal in the regular season. I think in those nine games that he had with the Lightning before the pause, but uh, started to pick it up a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, Yanni Gord went through his famous goal drought last year, thirty five games or so before that uh, that magical overtime goal. Uh, I believe in Pittsburgh. It was at Pittsburgh Columbus back to back where both games went into overtime. Uh, I expect those two to, to put up a lot more goals this season. I, I think Coleman, you know, gets back to the 20 goal level that he was in New Jersey before he came over to Tampa Bay in the trade. I think Yanni Gord has 20 goal potential, certainly Goodrow, you know, he could put up 10, 12 goals this season. I really think that line is going to be key for this team because they have that depth and they have that ability to just come at you and wave after wave. And who's going to match up when that third line, when teams are getting tired, uh, in the third period, and they don't have the depth that the Lightning do to match up with those guys. So I expect a big year out of that group. Last one from me, Brian. The season began, the Lightning schedule had five sets of back-to-backs, and we were talking about this last week as it related to the number of games that McElhinney might get, and, and we counted one game in each of those sets of back-to-backs. Well, we had some schedule reshuffling already with the the Stars having to miss the games against the Panthers and the Lightning. So now another back-to-back has been added after after the dust settled. The Lightning have a back-to-back where a Florida game got moved, creating a sixth back-to-back. Do you think that we may be seeing this throughout the year, that it, it, it may be almost like jumping from lily pad to lily pad? The league is going to have to work things around and – you know, the Lightning may be dealing with with more games in a shorter period of time than what they had anticipated when they mapped out the schedule at the start of the year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think these games are almost going to be like moving targets. That you don't you have one on the schedule, and you hope you can get it played. But uh, as we've seen, it's already the first week of the season when we've had two games that have had to to be moved back, and then a third game later on that had to be moved to accommodate one of those, uh, the rescheduling of one of those postponed games. So, you know, I think this is something that you're just going to have to to deal with uh, as it comes along. And I feel like if any group in the NHL is equipped to deal with it, I think it's the lightning. I think they have the experience uh, and the resilience that, uh, you know, this isn't going to set them back. This isn't going to get them off target. In fact, I kind of like how, 
this first two, you know, the, the Dallas games, how that's been postponed. I kind of like how that that sets up for the Lightning. And John Cooper kind of alluded to this in some of his postgame comments that uh, these first games against Chicago were almost like preseason games for the team where, you know, you go and you play like Nashville at home and then you go up and play Nashville at Bridgestone Arena in a back-to-back uh, it's very similar. You know, you play Chicago two games in three nights and then you have, you know, five, six days off and it gives you a chance to kind of work on some things that maybe you didn't like about your game in the Chicago game and and kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit before you start back up with the season again. So, uh, you know, you certainly don't want to see this happen. You don't want to have games postponed because of COVID. Uh, because then you're going to, like you said, it's going to start to condense games towards the back end of the schedule. Uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room built in at the end of the schedule before the playoffs to to make up some of these games. Uh, so you don't want to see a bunch at the beginning of the season get postponed. But uh, for the Lightning, at least, I think this is you know kind of a blessing in disguise that they can work on some things that maybe they didn't like about their game. Some of those details that they talked about where they weren't perfect, uh, they can work on that in these next couple of days here and then come right back out and and, and hopefully have a good strong uh, a good strong showing in Columbus. Bernsey, before we let you go, let's talk about the Lightning schedule coming up here. We mentioned the Dallas games being postponed, practice today. What's it looking like the rest of the week? Of course, getting set for Columbus on Thursday. Yeah, again, like kind of a moving target, like the schedule. Initially, it was supposed to be practice Saturday when we knew it was just the Sunday game that was being postponed. Uh, Actually, it was supposed to be off day Saturday, then practice Sunday practice Monday, I believe, off day Tuesday, then practice Wednesday. Well, then both games get canceled against Dallas or get postponed. So now they had the whole weekend off uh, to kind of rest up a little bit. And now it's looking like practice today. We don't really know about tomorrow. That was just a scheduled off day. I would assume they would probably go back out and practice again since they had two off days, Saturday and Sunday. So, again, just another situation where you kind of have to be flexible with the schedule and you know, John Cooper's been that kind of coach, you know, throughout his his tenure here in Tampa Bay. There's been a, a number of times where the team's supposed to to practice on a Monday or Tuesday and, you know, like 11 p.m. the night before you find out well, that practice has been uh, canceled. And so I think this team has kind of gotten used to that where you don't really know what your schedule is the next day, but you're just prepared to go out and, and practice or play uh, if that's the case. And if things get canceled, then you you kind of relish that having that uh, that off day there, that unexpected off day. So I think this team's equipped to deal with that, but it's going to be a situation like this going forward where you might not know what your schedule is day to day until it's it's actually there. Bernsey, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. We'll see you at the rink soon. And if I hear of any agents in the area, I will <laughs> shoot them your way. Send them my way. Let them know Thanks, that Bernsey. I am up for grabs. I am a free agent. You got it, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. That is Brian Burns. He is the beat reporter of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We always appreciate him coming on. And uh, we're just going to keep it here before we close things out here on the show. And, you know, Dave, kind of like what we talked about in segment one, two games against the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, I don't know how much you really take from it, although we had, you know, some people chime in. And what's the, the most surprising thing they've seen through – two games but I do think this Lightning team over the course of the last year has taken on the identity that they are harder to play against and I think that is there's something to be said for that which allows them 
when their offense isn't great, that if you can, for the most part, defend pretty well, I mean, you're going to have lapses in a game for sure. And we've even seen a team like Chicago have some moments where they're pushing back. But if you can limit those for the most part, and you see that compete, which John Cooper talked about over the weekend, then this team really does have a, a really solid chance to win a lot of games again this year in addition to what they can do offensively. They do, and I'm not one to turn my nose up at a win against any team because on any given night in the NHL, one team can beat another. And we've seen it year in, year out. I mean, last year, now the Blackhawks did get into the playing round as the 12th seed, and they upset Edmonton. But, you know, had the season just progressed, they would have missed the playoffs if there had not been a pause. And let's not forget, I mean, the Blackhawks erased a 2 nothing deficit in the third period at Amelie Arena with five unanswered goals in a game played between the teams in late February. So beating any team in the NHL is not a given no matter where your perceived ranking is relative to the, to your opponent's perceived ranking. So I think the Lightning should feel good about the fact that they won both these games. And yes, are there areas on which they can build? Of course. But I think you're right that if you look at the games as a whole, I mean, the Lightning pretty decisively carried the first game. I mean, maybe after the first 10 minutes, and like Bernsey mentioned, there was a little stretch at the end of the second when the Hawks made a push, but it wasn't it wasn't overly dangerous. They had that Andrew Shaw rebound right at the end of the second period. That might have been Vasilevsky's best save. There were a handful of scoring chances sprinkled throughout the game. Suter had a breakaway in the second period. But if you look at that game as a whole, the Lightning fairly dominated, and that was that – was, a very decisive win. The game on Friday was closer. And part of that has to do with the fact that the Hawks pushed back. They wanted to get points out of the two-game set. And I think you have to expect that as these series happen throughout the regular season. But even, like, if you were to look at the Lightning's game on Friday, Greg, and you were to say, all right, they, they were a little... They were a little against the current in the first period, and and some of that was due to the fact that the Hawks pushed. But if you were to say, all right, their worst segment in the game came in the last five minutes of the second period, again, like Brian talked about, when a 3 nothing lead became 3-2. to two. I mean, would you say that that was their shakiest segment in, in the second game? Probably. The last five minutes yeah. where the Hawks made a 3 yeah. nothing game, 3-2. Okay, yeah. and I agree with you. Yeah. But even having said that, during that stretch, the Lightning had a three-on-one and a two-on-one. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, it's about defense. It's about limiting chances. But it's not like they were completely overwhelmed during that stretch. And then they got the save at the end of the period on Debrinkit from Vasilevsky to keep the game 3-2. And they have to kill a penalty going into the third. They had three penalty kills in the third period. And I think John Cooper said they may have given up two scoring chances in the entire third period. So... That's a strong response, even though they didn't have as much puck possession in the third because they had to kill like five and a half minutes worth of, of penalties. But even without the puck as much, they defended very well in the third period. So I think the game on Friday was closer, but I still like the way the Lightning played in that game. And 
I think that we we are fair to point out the areas where maybe they can smooth things out and and get even better. But I think we should also acknowledge that they did some really good things against a hungry opponent on Friday that helped them get out of that game with the sweep. This question comes in from George. And again, we have a, a couple of questions. If you want to react to anything we've had to say, you can at Bolts Radio. He wants to know, Dave, do you think we see Blake Coleman on the second power play unit at some point? Well, anything is possible. I think one reason why I would say no is that generally when the Lightning go in the penalty kill, Coleman and Goodrow are the first two forwards over the boards. So, like, if you were to list order of importance for Blake Coleman in terms of how the Lightning view him, regular shift five on five and first over the boards on the penalty kill. So if you're going to account for those minutes, do you want him also taking power play time? Now, there are guys who do both, like Sorelli and Klorn. Sorelli this year is on the second power play. will play both power play and penalty kill, and certainly there are some defensemen, notably headmen, who will play power play and penalty kill, and now Sergachev too, as he started to see more time on the penalty kill. But I think given the fact that Coleman is so important on the PK and usually getting a shift that may last as long as a minute to a minute and a half. If you're kind of stuck out there on the penalty kill, I think that that's, that's the priority, but you never say never. I mean, if the power play struggles and they want to mix things up or you, you lose guys to injury and, and other guys need to be slotted in, it's certainly possible. I mean, he's got the ability to score. I just think that, his value in terms of what he can do shorthanded would mean that they want to make sure that they're not overextending him by also putting him on the power play. Even though the second unit, if we were to look at the ice time, the second unit generally gets far less power play time than the first unit. You know, it might be one of those things where perception clouds your judgment on how much production a player should get. And what I mean by that is, I was guilty of this as well. It may still pan out this year, but I was guilty of this as well, Dave, because the, the talk was Johnson looks really good this year. He's more motivated, and he's going to see some power play time this year. And especially if he's playing on a wing, not his natural position as a, a centerman, that really where he's going to collect a lot of points could be on the power play. I didn't realize he only has two power play goals the last two years. Is, is that one of those statistics that, I mean, I don't think that lies. And, I, you know, we talk about the power play and the personnel on each unit, and I don't know where Johnson's going to fit in. Is he going to see more time on number one or number two? But I am curious that that talk about how dedicated and how he's not reinvent himself, but he's ready for a big year, and I, I still think that could be the case, that on the power play at least, if you were looking for him to score goals – at least based off of the stats over the last two years, that hasn't been the case. And I'm wondering, you know, is that something that if that continues, did they look to to switch things up there to give somebody else uh, more looks or even a guy like Blake Coleman? It's a good question. I think that for Johnny, he's seen a lot of time in the second unit the last yeah. two years. And we have seen that the second unit generally does not get as much power play time as the first unit. 
not generally. I mean, always, sure. basically. Unless it's like back-to-back power plays and the first unit was out there for the first two minutes and then they kind of have to start the second unit or the first unit was was out five on five and drew the penalty and sometimes the second unit starts it. And sometimes Kucherov would just like stay out there, right? Right. <laughs> like the first unit's basically going, but Kucherov is the puck, so he actually <laughs> right. holds on to it and, and continues to try and make a play. So... It's not like in in Johnson's defense, and I don't know how much of a defense this is because, as you said, the numbers don't lie about the the total of power play goals. But in his defense, at least an argument in his defense is how much actual power play time has he had where he's out on the ice on the man advantage. Most people might feel, well, he's had enough to account for more than one goal last year which was a year in which he didn't score a lot relative to other years overall. The year before, though, he had 29 goals. So he was very productive five-on-five, and it may have just been a function of situation on the power play, that whether the setup didn't run through him as much or he just didn't get as much time like the other guys who were on the second unit. So... I mean, we're going to have to see, like, I don't have it in front of me, but of the other guys on that second unit, remember last year's second unit had Shattenkirk and Sergachev for most of the year. So you had three forwards and two defensemen. What did what did that unit contribute overall in terms of power play goals? I mean, I don't, think it, was, I don't, I don't think it yeah. was a lot generally. It's a fair question. So, but I don't have that. I don't have that information right in front no. of me to, to be able to see. And, and guys moved up and down, too. So it's not like it was the same five guys in the second unit the whole year. I, but I do know that Gord saw some time in that second unit. And we just you know referenced he had the yeah. long goal drought uh, during that during that 1920 regular For season. Sure. It's something to keep an eye on because I think a lot of the narrative was Johnson's going to you know have a big year. He's going to be motivated. But some of that was going to come from his production was going to come from the power play. More chances there. And to your point, that just might not happen. I think the thinking was because Kucherov was out, there'd be an available slot there for somebody like Johnson maybe to pick up more minutes. Time will tell. I think it's a it's a fair point you made, but I do think it is an interesting thing to watch as this year unfolds. Last and, question. And you know, Greg, let, yeah. just just bookending this. Yeah. It is important for the power play to produce during this regular season in Kucherov's absence. But if Johnson is going to be playing five on five with Sorelli and Kalorn, and I know it's a very small sample size and Johnson was only in one of the two games so far, I have really liked how that line has looked five on five. They've contributed goals in each of the first two games. And if they can, if they can maintain that kind of dynamic play for much of the year, to me, it's not as important at the end of the year to say, well, Tyler Johnson had X number of power play goals. If he's a contributing member on that line five on five and they can drive play like we hope they will be able to and and the way they've shown they can and the way they've started this year, then I would say that's a good year for Tyler Johnson. I think that's a fair point. Last question for the show, and then we'll sign off and get ready for tomorrow. Gary wants to know, do you think the NHL would ever consider day-night double headers with shortened periods like baseball did for COVID makeup games? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
And the reason for that is it, it's the reason why the league is, is hesitant. They'll do it, but we don't often see back-to-backs in, in playoffs. And, and maybe this isn't a great comparison, but you know in the regular season if you have a back-to-back, that first game is only going to go you know, 65 minutes plus right. a shootout at, at longest. You know, in a in a back to back in the playoffs, that first game could go, you know, into an overtime and and multiple overtimes. And in fact, if you recall, one of the back to backs the Lightning had in last year's playoff in the second round series against Boston between games two and three, two and three were a back to back. Game two went into overtime, mm-hmm. and we were wondering like, what is going to happen? How are they going to work? tomorrow etc and then Palat scored like in the first five minutes of the overtime so it, it turned out being not much longer of a game but it's it's basically it's the reason why we're not looking at longer three on three in a yeah. way like they're well why don't you just play three on three until you have a winner well the reason is that you know asking players to play more within one game over the course of a long regular season is is not is not something that that is done in hockey. The game is is too taxing. It's too physical, and then asking a, a team to come back and and play again is is a lot. So even if you were to say, and and how short are we talking here? Like, are you going to have ten minute periods? Are you playing like half a game? Wouldn't that take away from? The integrity of the game. Yeah, I mean, I know you said it in your yeah. in your Cave serious voice, but I think it's a legitimate question. Yeah, it and yeah. so let's say, all right, well, let's make them 15 minutes so it's it's closer to a regular game. That's still a lot of hockey to play, and I just I just don't see it. I just don't see it happening. I mean, that would it's not maybe a great comparison, but are you asking a football team to play like Saturday Monday? No, and there's a reason for that. At most, you might see Sunday to Thursday, right? Which when is they have ludicrous. Thursday night, Thursday night. <laughs> Which games. is ludicrous, by the way. But that's hey, look, ludicrous. I, I, you think you shouldn't ask a team to no, play? No, I, I think it's I think it's very taxing on on a, yeah. on a on an athlete. I think you know these guys will tell you, especially in football, Dave. I mean, it takes them probably the full week to feel okay <laughs> after. Yeah. After playing on Sunday, and, I, and you know those are the guys that are you know in the trenches, you know beating each other up. So I, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine playing a game on a Sunday and then telling me I had to be ready, especially if I'm traveling on Thursday. And um, you know, Gary, I don't think it was your question or your your scenario. Do I think the NHL would consider, let's say, like the Lightning playing? I'm throwing out an example: the Panthers at noon. And then on the same ice surface at six o'clock, it's another team playing. You know, oh, two other teams playing. Yeah, we saw that I mean, in I the could playoffs see I, like if you wanted to try and make up games, and you were like, "Look, it, it seems like we could uh, f- use this venue here, and we could use the protocol in the right way here." I could see something like that, but I don't. I don't think you'd ever see an NHL team playing. You know, day night doubleheaders. The it's only not- time that I have ever seen it is, and they do this. They do this every year during a normal preseason. Nashville and Florida tend to play two games in one day. I think sometimes they can't be in different cities. They must be in the same city. I, I confess that I'm not on top of it because usually I'm 
focused on who the Lightning are playing in the preseason. You're not the Panthers insider, Dave? Come on. <laughs> yeah. But we usually end up seeing Nashville right after yeah. that. So it was like, oh, yeah. they, they split with the Panthers. So they play in the same city. One game right. is in the afternoon. One game is the evening. But they have two completely different teams playing. Yeah. You know, you have a roster right. of right. 60. Right. 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 right, right. So, you know, nobody is playing both games in in no. that in that scenario and they do it for that reason so they can get a look at as many players as possible probably but that's the only time i've ever seen a doubleheader in uh an nhl schedule yeah, and it's, it's in the preseason it's just not gonna happen all right everybody we appreciate it thanks for the questions hope uh, you were entertained and we'll do it again tomorrow dave great job as always and uh we'll do it again talk to you tomorrow greg all right, Dave Michigan there. Thanks to Steve Versnick producing. Thanks to Brian Burns who joined us earlier. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you again noon to one tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.